Jeremiah 33, 6 through 9, and 14 through 16. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will, will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's just pause and pray again. Father, we thank you for your word, and we welcome your Holy Spirit's work now as we look to your word. We pray that he would speak your truth to us, truth that we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to um, just touch on two very basic themes this morning. I'm going to talk about sorrow, all right, sorrow, and then I want to talk about hope. So first, sorrow. Um, the passage that Heidi just read for us from the book of Jeremiah, this is a portion of the Bible that is frequently read in churches during the season of Advent, especially those verses 14 through 16. And, and the reason that we'll read this at Advent is because this is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Now, to understand this prophecy, you need to know that these words of Jeremiah were written in a context of sorrow. This is written in a context of deep, pervasive sorrow. Uh, Jeremiah was a Hebrew priest who lived in the city of Jerusalem in, during the final years of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah was called by God to denounce the people of Judah for their idolatry, for their injustice, for their indifference to the needs of the poor, and for, for the various ways that they had violated the covenant of God. He was called to denounce them for these things, and he was called to warn them that if, if they didn't listen to God, if they didn't turn back to God, their nation would be destroyed. Well, the people did not listen to Jeremiah. Even though he preached this message for decades, they just, they, they, they didn't listen. And so Jeremiah, this, this godly prophet, he was forced his whole life just to kind of sit there helplessly and watch as first the Babylonian armies encroached on the land, then they conquered Judah, then they destroyed Jerusalem, then they burned down the temple, and then the Babylonians carried the people, God's people, into exile. So this is the kind of life that this man had throughout his entire life. He looked at the world around him, and everything was constantly going from bad to worse. Now, when people live in a world like that, how do they feel? Well, often they will just feel hopeless. 
You ever struggle with feelings of, of hopelessness? What, what does it mean to be hopeless? To, mean, to be hopeless, it doesn't just mean that your situation is bad. You can have a bad situation and still be hopeful, right? To be hopeless, it doesn't mean your situation is bad. It means your situation is bad and you cannot imagine that it will ever get any better. That's one definition of hopelessness. It's just when you're unable to envision a positive future for yourself. Very often, people who uh, are struggling with declining health, either because of old age or because of chronic illness, they'll wrestle with feelings of hopelessness. You know, they just feel like the, the health I have right now, it will never be better than it is at this moment. It's, it, I can see the future. It will just get worse and worse and worse. Often people who are facing divorce will have waves of hopelessness because for years they've been hoping, if I, just, if I really try hard, if I do my part, maybe this marriage will improve. And, then, and you reach that point where you realize, no, that dream is not going to happen. And there's a sense of, of hopelessness. There's a name that uh, sociologists use for people in our country who were born between the years 1997 and 2012. I wonder if anyone here falls in, in that place. They, they call people born between 97 and 2012 Generation Z, all right? And some experts have called Generation Z the hopeless generation. Not because they're bad. There's wonderful things about people in that age group. It's, be, it's, it's because they just... They just live in this time where it seems like everything, everything is going from bad to worse. So highest rates of uh, depression, highest rates of suicide are found in that generation than any other generation in, in our country's, country's history. What, one study done a few years ago found two-thirds of Generation Z uh, people report feeling, quote, significantly stressed when they think about the future of our nation. Just this high rate of anxiety over uh, things like mass shootings and climate change and political division and decline in the economy. Just, just, there's just this sense, it's never going to get any better. I wonder if you kind of feel that way about our country. Will there ever be a day we don't have to wear masks around each other? Will, will there ever be a day our politicians can agree and work together? Will that ever Will it ever come again? Well, I'm not trying to depress this. I, I hope I'm not. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm rehearsing these things because I want you to understand that if you're feeling that way today, these words that God gave to the prophet Jeremiah, they were given, they were given to people who were feeling, listen, exactly like that. This deep, pervasive, hopeless Sorrow. That's when God spoke these words. Jerusalem was under siege. The temple was, was soon to be destroyed. Exile into Babylon was just around the corner. Everything in their world was going from bad to worse. Recently, a, a Facebook friend of mine uh, posted these words. She posted just all she posted. I am feeling so very disconnected from everything and everyone. Maybe... Uh, Maybe that describes you today. Maybe that would have described Jeremiah on occasion. In, in Lamentations chapter 2, this same prophet Jeremiah, here's, he, he, he talked about how he was feeling during his lifetime. Here's what he said. He said, my eyes 
fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. What can I say? With what can I compare you, O, o daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? So that's the context where, where this prophecy comes out of. This, this, is, this is what people were feeling. This is what people were going through when God spoke these words. There's this deep sense of sorrow. And second point, in this context of sorrow, God spoke words of hope. Can you imagine that? Hope. This prophecy that God gave Jeremiah, this, this, uh, this promise, was that even though nobody could see this, even though no one could even imagine this, the promise is that one day everything would change, everything. God would forgive his people. God would restore his people. God would return his people back to their land. Verse 9, look at this. God says through Jeremiah, this city, what city is he talking about? He's talking about Jerusalem that was under siege, that was about to fall. He says, this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. Imagine how that felt. How would you feel if God said to you, know, you know, someday people, anyone who hears about the good things I do in your life is just going to give me honor and praise. I, I wonder if Jeremiah just trembled at this. God said that they will be in awe. They will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for my people. So these are words of hope. And if, if you'll let me, I'd just like to ask us to notice a few details about this promise. Let's, let's look at these three things. Who, why, how. All right? So first, who. Who is responsible? Who is responsible for making sure that this prophecy comes true? Answer, God is. God alone. The, the fulfillment of these words of hope that depends entirely on one person, on Yahweh, on the Lord. So if you'll look in your program at where the, this is printed out, if you have a pen, you could circle things if you want to. But let me ask you this question. How many times in those verses, how many times can you count the words, I will. Where do you see them? I will. I, I count six places, all right? Verse six, I will bring health and healing to this city. Again, verse six, I will heal my people and let them enjoy peace. Verse seven, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity. Verse eight, I will cleanse my people from all their sin. Verse 14, I will fulfill the good promise I made. Verse 15, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. God just keeps saying this again and again. It's like a drumbeat. I will, I will, I will, I will. Never once does he say you will. Has nothing to do with you. And never once does he say, I might. I'll try. I don't know if it's going to happen. Listen, the fulfillment of these words of prophecy, it depends entirely on whom? On God, on the Lord. He just says, take all the responsibility for making this happen. Put it on my shoulders. I will make sure this gets done. So who's responsible? Who? The Lord is. Now, why? 
Why, why will God accomplish all these things? As, listen, as many times you look through these verses, as many times as you see the words, I will, you never once see the word, if. God never says, I will do these things if Israel gets their act together. I will accomplish this if Judah returns to me. I will make sure this happens if, if my people finally get, to get things together and, and obey me. Listen, if, if, the pro, if this prophecy were contingent on Israel's ability to somehow fulfill all the terms of the covenant with God, you know, I, I think Jeremiah would have just ripped it up and thrown it away. Like, what good will any of this do? And I hope I don't offend you if I say, if, if God's promise to bring goodness into your life, believer, were contingent on your ability to obey his word completely, listen, you might as well just go home right now. Right? At least I know that's true for me. Why will God accomplish this for his people? The, the, the answer to that question you see it? You see it in verse 14. It's because God made a promise. God made a promise. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. It's not, he's saying it's not because of you. It's not because of you. He says it's because I gave my word. I made a promise to do this. Now, you've probably had people who have made promises to you and broken them. Anyone here? Has that happened to you? You've probably made promises to others and broken them. Anyone here? Listen, we all fail to fulfill our word, but what I want you to understand is that God, the living God, He is not like us in that regard, is He? He's not like that. Uh, Numbers 23, verse 19. I love how one translation of this verse uh, renders it. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not like people. He tells no lies. He is not like humans. He doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. How, how many of you feel like that's good news? That's good news. God keeps his word. So in the midst of sorrow, in, in the midst of this, just the darkness of this moment, God comes to his prophet and there's these amazing words of hope. Who? Who's responsible for this? God is. Why? Because he keeps his word. Now, who, why, how? <laughs> how, how will God accomplish all these amazing things he's promising to do? The, you, you see the answer to that in verse 15. God says that he will, he will fulfill this promise through a person. A person who is referred to here as a righteous branch. He'll do this through the branch. Verse 15 says, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right. This person is the one who will accomplish this. Now, scholars for hundreds of years, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, have understood that this is talking about the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? The Messiah is the promised Savior King. 
that God for years has been saying he would send into the world, that the Savior King, um, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the places where you see God promising the Messiah. God sent a prophet to King David, and God said to, to King David that David's sons would continue to reign on David's throne, and that one day, out of David's lineage, would arise the king, the anointed king, whose dominion would endure forever, the Messiah. Often in the Old Testament, this Messiah is described with this very word you see Jeremiah used here. He's called the branch. Isn't that something? The branch. The, the one who will grow out of... Uh, the branch that will grow out of David's family tree. You could look at it that way. Isaiah chapter 11 is one of those places that talks about the branch. Listen to how Isaiah describes him. Isaiah says, he will be filled with the fullness of the Spirit of God. He will make decisions for the poor of the earth with justice. He, he, he with the breath of his mouth, will slay the wicked. He, he will gather the exiles of Israel. He will stand as a banner for the people. Uh, 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 the nations will rally around him, the nations of the earth. and. Isaiah says, his resting place. Have you ever felt like you just need a place to rest? His resting place, Isaiah says, will be glorious. That's the kind of prophecy you see through the Old Testament about this one who is called the branch, the branch that will someday grow out of David's family tree. I wonder if it was hard for Jeremiah to believe that, that those prophecies would ever come true. You know, the, there wasn't much left of David's family tree at this time. Barely anything left. A few years ago, the, uh, the maintenance crew in the apartment complex where I live, for some reason, they cut down this tree right in front of my building. I was really bummed. I liked that tree, and they just came with a, you know, with a chainsaw and cut it right down. There's only like a one or two inches of stump left in the ground. I wonder if Isaiah felt that way about David's family tree at this time. It's just a little stump. Well, you, you know, when they cut down that tree the next summer, it was so weird. We all thought it was dead. And these green branches, it looked really weird. They just started sprouting up out of this. Like they, I mean, I'm talking way, 15 feet in the air, these branches just started growing out of this stump in the ground. I guess that can happen sometimes. And that was, that's what God was saying to Jeremiah. Don't assume that this, this tree is dead just because it's a stump. One day, one day, no matter how it's been cut down, that branch is coming. The branch is going to grow out of this stump. God says, in those days, at that time, I will, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. Amen? This week I was reading about a, a, a Christian man who was on his deathbed, and his son came to visit him, um, you know, the last days of his life. And his son said to his father, he said, Dad, how do you feel? Hours away from death, how do you feel? And his father looked at his son and he smiled and he said, I've, he said I feel like a child on Christmas Eve. In other words, he's just saying right now in this moment of death, 
I am filled to overflowing with hope. Now someone says, why would anyone feel that way on their deathbed? I'll tell you why. Because the New Testament tells us that this prophecy that God gave to Jeremiah has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder why the, the authors of the New Testament, they go out of their way to make sure you know that, that Jesus, in his, in his, in his, as to his human nature, he came from the line of David. They even trace back all the generations. Why are they doing that? Why this genealogy? They want you to understand he's the son of David. He's the branch. He's, he's, he's the branch that grows out of this chopped down family tree. He is the one through whom God will restore the world. So in Advent season, leading up to Christmas, we, we celebrate the truth that the branch has come, was born in Bethlehem, and we look forward with joy to the truth that the branch, he will come again, right? He'll come again and accomplish everything in the depth of its meaning, everything prophesied about him. You know, the, uh, the famous poet T.S. Eliot, he's known to have written once that this world will not end with a bang, but with a whimper. You ever hear that? The world will not end with a bang, but with a whimper. With all due respect to T.S. Eliot, that's not true. That's not true. This world will end. The world as we know it, it will end with the shout of an archangel. It, it will end with the sound of a trumpet. It will end with, with the voices of heavenly choirs singing praise to God. It will, it will end. It won't even really end. It will just be transformed with him, Jesus, the branch, coming back here to this world to make all things new, to bring life to people who've, who, whose death happened years ago, to, to wipe every tear from our eyes to take away all sorrow and all hopelessness and to fill this world with his joy. Someone says, Pastor, you really believe that? With all my heart, I do. With all my heart, I do. And maybe you do. Maybe you're struggling to believe today. You say, part of me does. Part of me wants that. But part of me is really struggling. I'm just so discouraged right now. Listen, if, if that describes you, if you're just kind of struggling to believe this promise, I think that's something that you could be very honest with God about. I don't think he's going to be bothered at all if you were to go to him and say, you know, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. I'm just, I, I'm just struggling. That's the kind of prayer request that God answers all the time. I mean all the time. When people with humility and honesty just go to him and say, Lord, I'm starting to feel hopeless. I want to believe. I want to believe. Would you, would you do something in me that I will know in my heart this is true? Well, let's pray and let's ask him to do that for us right now. God, we need some hope. We're your people and we need hope. And you promised to give us that. And so I pray that I pray that you would do something for us right now through your Holy Spirit that we can't do for ourselves. I pray that, that right now, through your Spirit, you would give us the faith just to rest in the promises you made about Jesus.
For some here, it might be the very first time in their life they experience this faith and they just begin to trust. Yes, I will trust Jesus. For some of us, we've been trusting for years and we just need to hear the invitation again today. Just rest. Trust in Jesus. As you give us grace to trust, we give you praise and honor. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.